Welcome to the podcast of Destiny Community Church. Today I want to talk to you on the subject, embrace ambiguity. Now I know that when you hear that, it's a little confusing and you're like, wait, what, what, is that, what does that even mean? We'll get to it and you'll understand it in just a few moments. Um, today, right after the second service, we're heading up to Tennessee to move Kendall out of her apartment uh, move some stuff into storage up there and then to see Kendall off as she leaves for Thailand where she's going to spend the next couple of weeks there she's going to be teaching as part of a cross-cultural curriculum and um, or, or practicum rather um, that she needs to complete before she can graduate from the university um, but it got me to thinking because when Kendall first left for college before visiting her uh, before we would embark on that trip, I would pull up on my phone and I would put in the address to where we're heading. And as I'd put in that address, I did it on this navigational app because on my phone, I could look at the trip overview. It would tell me every turn that we were going to make uh, from the driveway to her driveway. And, and I, I like those details. I'm that kind of person. Anybody like details? I, I like details. And I want to see where traffic is going to slow down uh, due to construction. I, I want to see where the traffic jams are at and, and if possible, look for al alternative routes. Um, I want to see the estimated time of arrival and then I'm that kind of guy that wants to see if I can beat it. Okay, so there's a, there's a game within the game, right? And, um, and so I, I like the details. Uh, I like looking at them. I want to see what, what it looks like. And the app that I use, and, um, and I've talked about this app before, and I'm not going to talk about it today because they're not giving me any kickbacks at all. And so I'm going to stop advertising for them. But the app that I, I use, it will give the step-by-step uh, a guide in advance and so I can see every street and so uh, before I start my journey I know that I have to go about 500 feet after I back out of my driveway I've got to drive about 500 feet down uh, southwest 19th place I've got to go about two tenths of a mile to 250th street from there I'm going to drive about 13 miles to US 441 then I'm going to go about 12 miles to I-75 north after I get on I-75 North, I'm going to go 213.2 miles to I-475 North, which is the bypass around Macon, and so on and so on until we eventually get to Cleveland, Tennessee. I know that if I would have left this morning at 7 a.m., it would have taken me six hours and nine minutes. But because I chose to stick around and preach two services today, uh, it's now going to take me closer to seven hours once we leave. But I've also noticed that I like knowing the details of life ahead of time. It's not just with driving. It's with all the stuff that I encounter going through life. I like knowing what I'm going to face before I get there. And seldom do I really know what I'm going to face before I get there. I am not a fan of ambiguous journeys. 
That's not me. That's, that, that's not my makeup. And I would say most of us in the room are made up that way. I don't particularly care for the unknown. As I go through life, I like to know what I'm getting into. I want to know what the outcome is going to look like. And in life, we prefer knowing where we are heading. We want to know where our careers are going to end up. We want to know where the funds are going to come from. We want to know where is this relationship heading. We want to know the test results. We want to know the prognosis. We want to know these details of life because we don't like being in the dark. But what you have to understand today is that God is perfectly comfortable being in the dark. God's not afraid of the dark. God is not afraid of the dark. Tell your neighbor that. Just, just tell him. I'm, as, as humorous as it, is, as it is, just tell him. God's not afraid of the dark. God is not afraid of the dark. It, it, like, like a photographer, God uses the dark times of life to develop us. That's what he does. He uses these dark moments to develop us. And you can't become who God wants you to be unless you walk through some ambiguous times. And we all do it. Whether or not we allow God to develop us or not, that's on us. But we all go through dark moments where we can't see where we are heading. We all go through ambiguous times. There's this old saying that states, the devil is in the detail. The devil is in the detail. And and I know that this old adage is used to describe something that seems simple at first, but will take more time and effort than, than expected. The devil is in the detail. I'll add that if you can see every detail of your journey, it's probably not a journey that God has orchestrated. If you can see every detail, you know how this thing is going to play out. It probably is so far from what God has for you that it would scare you. Satan is the one that paints the picture of certainty. It does not take faith to serve Satan. And Satan is the one that paints that picture of certainty only to lead you down paths of certain destruction. More often than not, God sends us on a journey without details. How many of you have ever been on a journey that God sent you on without details? Be honest. Anyone? Most of us in the room, we've been down that road and God just doesn't give us the details. God understands that if you knew all the details, it would scare the life out of you. I changed the word there. It'd scare that out of you too, right? God knows that if he laid it all out there and, and he just wrote the book for you to read ahead of time, it would scare you to death. In the words of, of Jack Nicholson, you remember that movie, A Few Good Men? You can't handle the truth. You can't. If God laid it all out for you, it would blow your mind and you probably wouldn't take a step of faith. If you knew all the details, the truth would leave you frozen in fear. If I would have known that we would be a portable church for 11 years, I probably wouldn't have moved us into this middle school. It was the right call. It's a divine thing. God called us. God brought us here. And, and what God has done here has been amazing. But I'm telling you right now, when, when God laid the vision in my heart, I did not know we would be here for 11 years. And I probably would have cowered down in fear. But God knew what he was doing. If I, did, if I would have known that construction would take so long, I probably would have not committed to the building process. Probably wouldn't have led you through a fundraising campaign to raise over $500,000 to put towards that project. Probably wouldn't have, 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 have signed up for that. 
But God knew what he was doing. If I had known that in planting a church that I would have to mourn the loss of people that I've grown to love so dearly, I probably never would have signed up for this because who loves heartache? Yet God knew what he was doing and, and, and I wouldn't change any of those details. I'm perfectly content with where God has me. I just know that had I known it, I may not have taken that step of faith. I've realized through life that me and God are on this need-to-know basis. God knows, and I don't need to know. And I am slowly figuring this thing out about my life. And one of the hardest parts of Christianity is embracing ambiguity. Embracing what we do not know. And every one of us, there, there's, there's not one person in here that, that is not part of this. We all understand that there's parts of our lives that we are uncertain about. We don't know what the outcome. And so you're in good company today. In this room, sitting around you, everybody in here, there's things that we are uncertain about. We have no idea what God is up to, and it scares us. But then we get to this amazing chapter in the Bible, Hebrews chapter 11. And if you're familiar with it, it's called the faith chapter. And I'm going to read some verses from there today. But Hebrews chapter 11 takes us down through the corridor of the faithful, the ones that trusted God, even though they could not see the outcome. It leads us through the Old Testament and it tells us about all of those saints that trusted God. We read of Abel. We read of Enoch. We read of Noah and Sarah, of Isaac. We read about Jacob. We read about Moses and Gideon and so many more. But I want us to focus on this one particular man that set the standard for what it means to embrace ambiguity. Hebrews chapter 11. I want to start reading at verse 1. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the people of old received their commendation. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Go down to verse 8. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. Now go to verse 17. By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said through Isaac, shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which figuratively speaking, he did, not, he did receive him back. Church, if ever someone deserves to be in the hall of faith, it is our friend Abraham. Recently, one of my favorite bands was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Def Leppard. Love me some Def Leppard. I get hysteria. I really do, okay? And to be eligible, it, well, here's what it did. It, it kind of ignited something in my mind. And I was like, how, how do you become eligible to be inducted into the Hall of Fame, into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? And, and um, to be eligible, 
uh, you've got to have at least 25 years uh, after the release of, of your first commercial recording, like your first major recording. And so that 25 years have to pass before you're eligible to become a member of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. So I kept doing my research because I wanted to find out, you know, just in case I ever want to be inducted into these halls of fame, you know, I, I want to know what it takes. And so to be eligible to be inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame, a player must be retired for at least five consecutive years. So I kept digging and to be eligible to be inducted into Cooperstown, which is the, the National Baseball Hall of Fame, you must be at least five years retired and have 10 years of Major League Baseball experience. Uh, to be enshrined into the Naismith Memorial Basketball Hall of Fame, which out of all of those, that's the one I would want to be a part of, um, a professional player must be retired for at least four years and he's eligible during his fifth year of retirement. But, but we know this, it takes much more than that. Obviously, to be inducted into any of those prestigious clubs, you must do something significant during your time of playing or recording. You, you are going to have some amazing feats, accomplishments under your belt in order for them to consider you as a nominee. Now think about Abraham. Church, Abraham only had faith. That's it. He just had faith. When we read the faith chapter, the, the, the best thing you can say about him is that Abraham just had faith. He had faith to leave his, his home, uh, homeland, his home country in search of a land that he didn't even know where he was going. And God said, I'll just show it to you. You pack up, you start traveling, I'll show you where you're going. And he had faith to trust God with that. When he finally, in his old age, had, had his son, which, which God was going to produce his offspring. He's going to become a father of all nations from, from this child. When God finally gave him a son, then God asked him to sacrifice this, that son. And he had the faith to trust God with his son's life. He had no idea God was going to provide a ram in the thicket, in, in the bush. He'd had no idea that God was going to do that. But he just trusted God that even if God required him to slay his own son, he knew that God could raise him up from the dead. Abraham was inducted into the hall of faith simply because he had faith. And faith is all that you need. And it's one of the hardest things for us to keep as Christians. Hebrews 11 and 6 is one of the verses that we skipped over this morning, but, but listen to this verse. Hebrews 11 and 6 says, And without faith it is impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. God rewards those who seek him through faith. You, you can't please God by your dependency upon facts. And that's what we want. We want the facts. We want to know, you know, just the facts, ma'am, just the facts. That's what we want. That's our mindset. But facts don't require faith. We must have faith in order to please God. I've come to realize, church, that faith is not the absence of sight. Faith is the absence of physical sight. That you can't see it with your eyes. Faith is seeing it through a different set of eyes. It's believing in what you can see in the spiritual in spite of what can't be seen in the physical realm. That's what faith is. This past week, 
Pastor Andrew and Pastor Scott went out to the church property and they, they put up a new eight by eight sign and it's a, a new rendition of, of our new church facility. I know many people think that when we put that, that, that sign up that, that it, it's for everybody driving by. And I'm not going to lie to you. There is. We want to stir some excitement. We want people to see what's happening and what's coming out there on that property. And, and we've reached that place where we believe, you know, they need to see this, this rendering. And so I have to admit to you, though, one of the reasons why I wanted them to put that sign up and, and, and I didn't want to hesitate. I didn't want to wait. I wanted to go ahead and get it up is because of my lack of faith. Because every time I drive by it now, I can see it. Every time I pull onto that property, I have to drive right by that dream. And, and now I'm staring at it. I know what it looks like. We had an old rendering out there that was faded and, and it looked bad before Easter. And, and, and the building has changed so much since that rendering. And, 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 and I just, I couldn't even see it anymore. And so I knew that we had to put this sign up so that my, my, my spiritual eyes could see what is physically going to be there. That is what faith is. Faith is being able to see what is not yet there. Now really quick, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you some enemies of ambiguity. Some of the things that fight against your trust in what you cannot see. That fight against your faith. Then I'm going to tell you a story. And then we're going to praise God through it. Amen? You're not going anywhere for a while. <laughs> that rain is coming down. That means nobody is standing in line to get in. So you might as well just camp out here for just a little while. Really quick. Enemies of ambiguity. Here we go. The first enemy of ambiguity is assumption. Assumption. Assuming that you know what God is going to do. Is that not one of the most... I'm, I'm just going to say it the way I'd say it to my, to my children. Is that not one of the most stupidest things that we could think of? That I could think like God thinks? It's absurd for us to, to try and figure out God's ways and God's methods. And we just, we just assume. Listen to Isaiah 55 verses 8 and 9. My thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord. And my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Don't even try and figure God out. Don't assume that you know what God is going to do. Because every time I have assumed what God is going to do, it, it makes a fool out of me. You know what they say about those that assume, right? Let's, go, let's move on. Okay. <laughs> the second enemy of ambiguity is familiarity. Familiarity. Isaiah 43 verses 18 and 19 but forget all that. I love the way the New Living Translation says this. It just, that's in my terms right there. But forget all that. It is nothing compared to what I am going to do. Oh, somebody needs to hear that this morning. Forget all that junk in the past. Forget all that mess you've been through. It is nothing compared to what I'm going to do, for I'm about to do something new. See, I've already begun. Do you see it? I will make a pathway through the wilderness. I will create, create rivers in the dry wasteland. Sometimes one of the biggest dangers of Christianity is expecting God to do it the way that God already did it before. 
God is under no obligation to do it the way he did it then. His mercies are new every morning. If he wants to display that, that mercy in a completely different way, God reserves the right to do it. He does not owe it to me to do it just the way he did it. I'm the person that likes routine. God has never been about routine. God will do things when you least expect it in a way that you never expected him to do it. I, I think about Moses. The first time that, that, that uh, God wanted to, to give the Israelites water, he told Moses, he said, take that staff in your hand and, and hit that rock. Hit the rock, and when you do, water will come forth, and it did. Sometime later, God tells him, he says, speak to the rock. This time, I don't want you to hit it. I want you to speak to the rock. And out of frustration, Moses does the same thing. Familiarity. It is the thing that gets us in trouble. God's going to do it the exact same way as he did it before. And this time, he hits the, the rock again. And God never told him to do it. it. It's one of the things that cost Moses the promised land on why he couldn't get to where God had promised him is because he was so focused on familiarity. Don't let familiarity steal what God wants to do in your life. And finally, the last enemy is impatience. You know, it's the silence that kills us. It's when you, you know you need God and you need his touch, you need his direction, you need God to act, but it's the silence that kills us. Sometimes on a, on a long stretch of road, I won't hear from my navigational app. You know, she was talking to me as long as I had to make some turns. The beginning of my journey, pulling out of my driveway and through my neighborhood, she is telling me what to do just, I'm thinking about changing it because I don't like another woman telling me what to do. I hear my wife telling me what to do enough. <laughs> Mandy's voice on her phone is actually a British man. <laughs> I have no idea. I have no idea. But she talks to me. And then all of a sudden, my app stops talking to me the longer I get on this journey. Because when I'm going down this long stretch of road with no changes to be made, she just gets silent on me. And I'm wondering if she's still listening. Is she still there? Is she still telling me where to go because I need her? If, if there's a traffic jam up ahead and I need her to, to change my route, is she going to tell me, you know, to get off at this exit and, and follow this highway and get back on the interstate at this exit? Is, is she paying attention? Does she know what's going on? Because sometimes the app just gets silent and it makes me want to do something stupid. It makes me want to get off the interstate or something just to wake her up and see if she's still there. Do we not do the same thing with God? There are moments in my life when God is silent and I just go and do something stupid just to see if he's still there paying attention. Don't look at me like I've lost my mind. You've done it too. We will do stupid things. We will get away from the direction God has us on just because he's silent. Just because God is silent doesn't mean that he has lost your coordinates. God knows exactly where you are at. He has you pinpointed. God's got you in his crosshairs. He knows exactly where you are at. You just need to be patient. You must wait. Don't let impatience ruin what God will do in ambiguity. Isaiah 40 and 31, but they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. 
I have realized, church, that my closest moments with God have been during the most ambiguous moments of my life. I have felt more connected with God during some of the darkest seasons of my life than I ever have in any other time. And it really takes you going through a dark time to realize that. I was more connected with God when early in our marriage when Mandy had cancer and we had no choice but to trust God, not knowing the outcome, but to trust God. Leaving the comforts of familiarity in Tampa and coming to Newberry to plant a church, I had no choice but to trust God. And I felt closer to him during that time than ever. Leading a church through a major construction project like we are right now, I'm telling you, there are moments when I just feel closer to God than I ever have. And I, I don't realize how much I need him until I need him. I don't realize that I need a savior until I need to be saved. Maybe you read the news story this past week of the two teens that were swimming near Volano Beach near St. Augustine. They got caught up in the current and it swept them out to sea. They, they went out over two miles from the shore. And for two hours, Heather Brown and Tyler Smith, they, they both are 17 years old. They've been friends since the fourth grade. And for two hours, these two teens were treading water just to stay alive. They were losing energy, strength, and they started losing hope. And that's when Heather cried out. And she said, if you really do have plans for us, like, come on, just bring something. Does that not sound like a teenager? <laughs> In her moment of despair, she says, if you really do have plans for us, like, come on, just bring something. And church, that's when a 53-foot yacht sailing from South Florida to New Jersey was about 200 yards away from them. The motor was running uh, over the wind, the engine, and the crashing waves. The crew heard their screams. True story. You'll never believe that the name of that boat was Amen. Amen. The owner of the boat said the first thing that Heather said when they pulled her up to safety onto the boat, first words out of her mouth, she said, God is real. And then they started treating them for hypothermia. They both survived. They're both fine. Within just a couple of hours, they were talking sensible back to their normal selves. God will always get the last word. Always. I like it in 2 Corinthians 1 and 20 where it says, the promises of God are yes and amen. The promises of God for your life are yes and amen. 
it might, it might be dark right now. You, you may not have a clue. You might be in the m- most ambiguous place of your life. All you need to do is sit still and pray and believe. That's it. Just sit still, pray, and believe. The rest is up to God. He's never been one to detail the plans of your life so that you can see them. I promise you, He knows it. Just trust Him. Thank you for listening to the podcast of DCC. For service times and directions, log on to www.destinycommunitychurch.org. Thanks again for listening.